to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. We have access with confidence. It means simply that we can come and we can pour out our hearts. We can tell God how we really feel. And he listens. You know, somebody asks you how you feel and you say, well, do you really want to know? Uh, No, I don't really want to know. I don't have time. Uh, I trust you're doing well. We'll see you later. (laughs) But you know, with God, he's got all the time. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Genesis chapter 15 in a message titled, The Abrahamic Covenant. Now here's Pastor Brian. So it seems that God has arranged this whole occasion. Now, again, whether Abram had any previous knowledge of Melchizedek or not, we don't know. It doesn't seem that he did. He might have. We don't know. But Melchizedek is moved by the Lord, evidently, to go and to publicly bless this man. Now, remember, Abram is, he's new to the land. He's a stranger. He's not a Canaanite. He's not one of the local inhabitants. He's come in from the outside. And of course, he's going to live there for a long time. He's going to raise his family there. They're going to be there all the way until Jacob is an old man. And then they will leave Canaan because of the famine. And they will go down to Egypt where they will sojourn for a hundred years. But it almost seems that on a just sort of on a um, natural level, what God is doing with Abram is he's giving him a position and security and some supremacy in the land. He's wrought a great victory. He's defeated this army that undoubtedly would have come back in the future to march further across the land. So he's, he's delivered them from that prospect and he's being sort of publicly recognized and therefore embraced by the local community. So all of this is happening, but there's something more than that happening. Because this this man Melchizedek, this mysterious figure, according to the New Testament, He is a type of Christ. And so, like I said, I think the bread and the wine are more significant than just simply, you know, I know you're tired here, you know, refresh yourself with this. I think all of this is speaking. Maybe Abram at the time doesn't understand all of the implications of it, but, but all of this is speaking of, of greater things. All of this is speaking to Abram of the promises of God. Now, remember also that he has been the recipient of revelation from God, but now there's another source that is confirming that the promises, the revelation, and all of that are 
a reality. You remember God appeared to him and God has appeared to him on occasion and he's instructing him and he's moving out by faith and he's believing that God is leading him and calling him. But you know, I would imagine that there were moments where he might've thought to himself, is this really real? Did I really hear God? Did, did God really tell me to leave my country? Did God really tell me to get away from my family? Has God really brought me to this place? You know, in some ways, it, it doesn't matter how much revelation we get from the Lord at times. Being human as we are, and because we're human, we're feeble, you know, we, we all of us at times have these moments of doubt, don't we? And we have to remember, Abram was a man. He was a human being, just like we are. And I would venture to, to bet that he, he might have had those times where he questioned everything. And so I think that with Abram, we have this confirmation now from a, another source, a man that is recognized as the priest of God Most High, he comes and he confirms as he pronounces this blessing upon Abram, he confirms all that God has said to Abram within the privacy of his own communion with the Lord. Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram responds back to Melchizedek by presenting him with a tithe of all of his assets. Now, those are the things that I think were going on as the event actually transpired. But as we move further, and of course, we're on the other side of the fulfillment of all of these events, we know the end of the story. As we come to the New Testament period, we come to the epistle to the Hebrews, and it might be good to just turn over to the seventh chapter of Hebrews. And think about this now. Again, there's a thousand-year period between David and Christ. So for a thousand years, there's been no conversation mentioning talk of Melchizedek. And here the, the author of this epistle sits down to write a word to these Jewish believers who are struggling to write a word under the inspiration of the Spirit. And as he's writing, he's speaking to them about the, the high priesthood of Jesus Christ and the superiority of Jesus as high priest over Aaron and the whole Levitical order of priest. And then suddenly he introduces this man, Melchizedek. It's a fascinating thing. 
in the fifth chapter, the fifth verse, he said, so also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And then over in verse nine, and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And then over into the sixth chapter, he comes once again, verse 20, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And now in the seventh chapter, he goes on to expound more thoroughly on this man, Melchizedek. He says, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abram or Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. So the author of this epistle tells us something about this man that we would not necessarily know. His name, Melchizedek, meant king of righteousness. But he's the king of Salem, which, of course, Salem means peace. And then he says concerning him, he is without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the son of God, remains a priest continually. So suddenly the, you know, the veil is removed and this mysterious person back there at the time of Abraham is suddenly being revealed as a person who was a type of Christ. So Melchizedek is a type of Christ in that like Melchizedek, Christ is to remain a priest forever. And you see, this is the, the argument that the author of this epistle to the Hebrews is now making. As you study this epistle, as we have studied it together, you remember that one of the, the purposes of the epistle is to show the supremacy of Christ over everything that came before him. So he's shown to be superior to Moses. He's shown to be, well, back further, he's shown to be superior to the angels. He's shown to be superior to Moses. He's shown to be superior to Joshua. He's shown to be superior to Aaron and to the priesthood. And one of the aspects of his superiority is his priesthood is a continual priesthood. And this is one of the arguments that the author makes. The, one of the weaknesses of the, the Levitical priesthood was that the priest could not continue to minister because they would die. And so Jesus has a superior priesthood because it's a perpetual priesthood. It's a priesthood that goes on and on and on forever. It's a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. Now, you might find this interesting. 
back in Genesis 14, this is the first mention of a priest in the Bible. So we've gone through a long period of history, you know, probably a couple of thousand years of human history. We have gone through that in the first 13 chapters of Genesis without any mention of a priest or a priesthood. And so this is the first mentioning of a priest or a priesthood, and it is this man, Melchizedek. Now, a priest was responsible for basically three things. Number one, to offer a sacrifice. Number two, to intercede for the people. And number three, to act as a mediator, as someone who would bridge the gap between a sinful people and a holy God. And as we look at Jesus as our high priest after the order of Melchizedek, that is exactly what we see him doing. And and this epistle to the Hebrews goes into great detail about his role as the high priest. It tells us that he offered one sacrifice for sin forever. See, the, the, the priest under the Levitical order, they had to continue to offer sacrifices because the sacrifices they offered could never ultimately do away with sin. They could only temporarily cover sin. But this man, Jesus Christ, he comes and he offers one sacrifice for sin forever. So as a priest, he offers a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of himself. As a priest, he intercedes on our behalf. And again, we are told right here in this epistle to the Hebrews that he ever lives to make intercession for us. One of the virtues of having an endless life is that he can continually intercede for us. And so we're told that he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he ever lives to make intercession for them. Isn't that an amazing thing? Not only did Christ offer that one sacrifice for sin forever to cleanse us and to secure us before God, but right this moment and all the way through, he is making intercession for us. To me, that is one of the most wonderful spiritual truths there is. I love it when people will tell me they're praying for me. I am so appreciative of that. I'm so thankful. But when I think of Jesus Christ praying for me, boy, that is just, that's fantastic. Because I know that Jesus, when he prays for me, he's always going to pray for the right thing. He's always going to be praying for me according to the perfect will of God. And I also know that the Father is always listening to his prayer. But this is one of the wonderful aspects of, of this, this priesthood that, that Christ is perpetually in now is his 
ongoing intercession for us. And so, again, as it says, he's able to save to the uttermost. And in the fourth chapter of this epistle to the Hebrews, we have some of the most comforting, the most encouraging words ever written in regard to the ministry of our high priest. Let's look at them. Hebrews chapter four, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Listen, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted or tested or tried as we are yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Aren't those glorious words? We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness or, I I like the way the King James puts it, we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with a feeling of our infirmities. You know, when we are suffering, when we're struggling, when we're afflicted, when we're going through difficult and challenging times, you know, oftentimes someone will come to us well-meaning, well-intended, And they'll come and they'll say something that they think is going to be encouraging to us. And, you know, we might thank them politely, but in our minds we think, you know, these guys don't know what they're talking about because they're not in my shoes. They're not going through what I went through. And a lot of times that's how it is on the human level. But here's the amazing thing. Our high priest He's not one who can't be touched with the feeling of our infirmities because he was in all points tempted, tested, tried just as we are, yet without sin. There's nothing that you could ever go through, nothing that you could ever go through that you could go to God and say, well, God, you just don't understand because God does understand. He doesn't understand only because he's God and he's omniscient, but he understands by actual experience. In this fifth chapter of Hebrews, maybe you remember reading the passage where it declares to us that that Jesus, the captain of our salvation, was made perfect through suffering. You might wonder, well, what does it mean, Jesus being made perfect? Why would, Jesus was already perfect. Why, why would he have to be made perfect? Well, he was already perfect, of course, in the moral sense and in, in all, spiritually and all of those other ways. But there was a dimension that he had not experienced. He hadn't experienced suffering as God. God couldn't suffer. But God became a man to live amongst us and to share in our experience. And there he was perfected in the sense of now his experience is total. He doesn't just know it from the standpoint of his omniscience. He knows it from the standpoint of his experience. He suffered. And so this is what is implied in 
the high priesthood of Christ, that he is there, made his sacrifice, interceding for us, there to mediate. He's the one that we can come to and know that he can sympathize with our weaknesses because he's been in our shoes, so to speak. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. And you know, this word boldly means to come with confidence. It means to come holding nothing back. You know, when you go to God, you know what God wants from you? He wants honesty. He wants you to just be free to tell him, you know, tell him how it really is. Ever find yourself trying to sort of fool God? You're praying about all the things that you think you should pray about, but none of the things you really want to pray about. You're saying to God all the things that you think you should say, but not saying any of the things that you really want to say. Well, you might as well say them because he already knows what you actually want to say. And when it says that we come boldly, and this, this kind of language is used several times over in Scripture, coming boldly, we have access with confidence. It means simply that we can come and we can pour out our hearts. We can tell God how we really feel. And he listens. You know, somebody asks you how you feel and you say, well, do you really want to know? Uh, no, I don't really want to know. I don't have time. Uh, I trust you're doing well. We'll see you later. <laughs> but you know, with God, he's got all the time. And you can come and, Lord, do you really want to know how I feel? Sure. Tell me all about it. Coming boldly before the throne of grace, and listen to this, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's what we get when we go before the throne of grace. We get mercy and we get grace to help in the time of need. And that's because we have a great high priest. And that's what Melchizedek was foreshadowing. That great high priest who would ever live to make intercession for us, that great high priest that would come and bless us, that great high priest who would take bread and break it and say, this is my body broken for you. He would take wine and pour it and say, this is my blood that is shed for you. That's what Melchizedek was a type of, our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. So I want to tell you about this great book that I recently read called The Air We Breathe. And the subtitle is How We All Came to Believe in Freedom, Kindness, Progress, and Equality. And the gist of the book is that whether we know it or not, all the things that we're passionate about, like progress, equality, freedom, kindness, 
All of these things are important to us because of Christianity, because of the influence of the gospel on our culture. And people hold to these values passionately, but they don't really even know where they came from. So this book, Glenn Scribner is the author. He does a superb job in just tracing all of these things right back to where they originated in Jesus and the gospel. So the air we breathe, I highly recommend that you pick it up and read through it. I know that you're going to love it, and I know it will help you in conversation with others as well. Again, this month's resource is a book titled The Air We Breathe, How We All Came to Believe in Freedom, Kindness, Progress, and Equality by Glenn Shrivener. You can order the book The Air We Breathe by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book The Air We Breathe by Glenn Shrivener to help you understand some of culture's most cherished values. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.